Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you listen to me every week as the host of the Makers of Minnesota podcast. But what you may not know is in my professional life, I help brands with social media strategy. I also help them with social media management. And currently, I have openings for two clients. Generally, when I'm your social media manager, I help you gather contents and assets of things that we can post on your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter accounts. We'll also do some LinkedIn posts if you have great business stories. But generally, I am the person that will help you write and schedule content for your social media feed so that all you're needing to do is talk with me a couple of times a month to get the calendar together or to talk about generally how you want your social media marketing to feel. And then I'm the person that executes the posts. I can also respond to messages that you get from people on your social media feeds so that you are doing the business of getting business for your business. If this is something that appeals to you, just let me know. You can find me at shansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, marketing at gmail.com. Now on to the podcast. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And I am here today with the co-founder of Humble Nut Butter, which is, I guess, nut butter. I was going to say peanut butter, but you have more than one type of butter. And um, John Waller is the founder. He is also in business with his wife, Jessica, who is very much like a lot of our other founders, but she has the day job. Right. Because someone has to like keep the insurance benefits going and all those things. Exactly. So she is not here today, but I'm really excited to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm trying to think of, I think I first saw your products at a maker's market that was in the parallel building where the glass manufacturer yeah, is. It was the ACC Craft Council, I think. Yes. And I was like, because I'm kind of have my hand on the pulse of food stuff. Right. And I'd never heard of you. And I was like, how long had you been in business when you guys were first there? Just a few months. Okay. So it was pretty early on. Yeah. We launched the business in the summer of um, 2018 at the local farmer's markets. All right. So let's just talk about that. So you're a married couple. You have a couple children, it sounds like. We do. How old are your children? Six and three, a, a girl and a boy. Okay. And your background of entrepreneurism was, did your family own businesses or why were you deciding that you needed to start a food product of all things? You know, my family did not own businesses. We were always mindful of business and aware of it. But Jess and I have had so many ideas over the years, um, most of which we didn't execute on. Right. Right. And a lot of the ideas kind of gravitated towards food and beverage. And why do you uh, think you thought like that? Like, were you just interested in the marketing of it or where did that come from? I've always found the space interesting as a consumer. I, I try to be mindful about what I choose to eat and buy. Uh, we want to know like what's going into the products, you know, so we look at the labels, but not, you know, in a crazy way. Sure. And, you know, we've had some ideas that we didn't execute on. My career has been in sales and sales leadership for for the majority of my career. And Jess has been in fundraising and a lot of her work has been in the nonprofit sector. And, you know, this whole idea hit us in the fall of 2017. Okay. So you... Had you been making nut butters at home for the kids or had you seen them on a shelf and thought like no. what I, I'm just, I, how did you get right. to the idea? Yeah. So 
we first we saw a documentary called Fed Up. I don't know if you've seen that. About food. It's about food. Yeah, and, and food and, waste and the food and, system. And, and the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And really it was, you know, in the 90s, there was this movement for, you know, low fat or no fat products. And, you know, food companies were taking away fat and then inserting sugar and sugar in disguise in some cases. To make it taste good. Exactly. Yes. And so that made us fed up, you know, no pun intended. And uh, so that kind of set the stage for us. And, you know, the idea itself came in the fall of 2017. So both of our kids were in bed for the night and Jess and I wanted a healthy snack. Didn't want anything sweet, didn't want anything heavy. So we went, you know, rifling through our pantry and we had hummus, we had popcorn, we had cheese and crackers and chips and salsa. We were uninspired by all those things. We also had nuts and then high-end spices like turmeric and rosemary sure. and truffle zest. And at that point, Jess asked this question, why are all the nut butters sweet or plain, but you can get nuts that are smoked or barbecue or seasoned a variety of ways? And I thought, that's interesting. Like, I, I don't think that exists. Like a savory nut butter. Exactly. Yeah. So... You know, fast forward almost a year. We spent a year in the recipes. Jess was making every single batch in our tiny kitchen. And she's she's good in the kitchen. Sure. Neither of us are trained chefs, but she knows what she's doing. Sure. I, I don't necessarily. I've got a decent palate, though. And we were serving friends and family to get their feedback on the flavors. And we made enough refinement that we thought, hey, like these are good. Let's launch with these three signature flavors. So sitting in front of me are spiced maple pecan, which is salty and sweet, sun-dried basil cashew, which is savory and salty, and truffle herb, 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 walnut. We laugh between herbs and herbs. (laughs) Uh, Savory and salty. Um, Do, how do you anticipate that people would use these? Like, do they put them on toast? Do they put them on noodles? Yeah. What's your preferred method? So that was the first question we got. Out of the farmer's markets. Uh, And that's why we have the sticker on the top of the lid. So the two more savory flavors, the sun-dried basil cashew and the truffle herb walnut, we like them with sandwiches, wraps, veggies, or crackers. And then the spiced maple pecans got a little bit of sweetness, but it's rounded out with some warm spice. That's great with fruit, sweet potato, acorn squash, toast, waffles, that sort of thing. Yum. So you decide to go to the farmer's market with these products. Which farmer's market did you go to first? First one was Excelsior. And that was probably your neighborhood. And how did that feel? Close enough. You know, we wanted to get something in the West Metro. Right. We thought demographically, if we end up at Kowalski's at some point, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we want to see what the feedback is like out there. It also worked from a scheduling perspective because it happens on Tuesdays. And then we went to the Linden Hills Farmers Market shortly thereafter. And that's a great market. Uh, Libby Wyram uh, from Frank and Ernest does a great job of producing and programming that market. She does. So you are at the farmer's market and what people like about that as food makers is you get like real-time feedback, right? It's like a perfect test market. Were people like coming back week after week? How often were they coming back? Like a jar of nut butter and a jar of peanut butter tends to sit on my shelf for about six months Sure. before I get to the end of it. Is that kind of common? For us? No. I mean, if you love it, we see people going through a jar in a week. Okay. The feedback was awesome right out of the gate. And we didn't know how it would go, frankly, because there's no, there's really no savory nut butter in the market. So can you give me a, just walk me through like your morning of being at a farmer's market. 
Yeah. Or like the days leading up. I want to know like, what time do you get up? How much do you have to haul? So that people listening that are thinking about doing farmer's markets, they kind of get a sense of what that feels like. It's a lot of work. Uh, to your point earlier, it is the most effective form of marketing and feedback, though. You look people in the eye and you see you know, what their reaction is, and ultimately, are they going to vote with their wallet and buy your product? Sure. That's important. So in terms of the schedule, you get up early. Um, and because Jess is still working full-time at the University of Minnesota and we've got two young kids, you know, I was schlepping a lot of the gear. So you've got your tent and you want to weigh your tent down. So you've got sandbags. Uh, you've got a hand washing station. You got a trash can. Of course, you have the product itself and the signage and then anything else you want to pair the product with, uh, tablecloths, etc. So there's a lot of gear, but the more you do it, it just becomes routine. Yeah, you get pretty used to the setup, but you described it very well. The hand washing station, some of that is obviously for permitting. There's right. uh, Minneapolis has pretty good food safety laws and to get your permits, you have to have certain things and inspectors do come to the markets and they, do. they check on them and they're usually very nice. They give you an opportunity to kind of get your act together, but they'll come back. They will. And they'll check on you. And if you're doing something completely unsafe, they will shut you down. If you're doing something that can be improved on in the moment, they'll give you the opportunity to do that. And a lot of times they'll come back and visit you the next week to make sure that you heeded their suggestions. Right. Um, okay. So you're at the market and you're making your product. How much is a jar? So these retail for $14.99 and $17.99 today. What is the $17.99, the cashews? That's the cashew, yeah. Those are fair trade and organic. And all the herbs and spices we use are certified organic. Okay. So was that important to you? You talked about ingredients in the beginning. Was it important to be an organic company? Yeah. We don't have the final certification yet. That'll happen at some point. Uh, But what's important to us is transparent supply chain ingredients that you've heard of clean label clean label for Mm -hmm. sure i mean there's no stabilizers there's nothing mysterious we don't use palm oil right these are all natural ingredients and they happen to taste good and they've got health benefits so and with humble nut butter from the time you were at the farmer's market then you expanded to linden hills yeah so we spent the first six months proving the concept Mm -hmm. i think we did 23 farmer's markets from june to december of 2018. And we actually sold out, I think of about six of those farmers markets, Mm -hmm. which is really validating feedback. And so that created a bit of a groundswell. We knew that there was demand for our product. Um, we started at Lynn Hall and their incubator kitchen. Sure. Uh, great spot run by great people. We outgrew that space fairly quickly. Uh, and so three months after that, we moved over to JHAP where our commercial kitchen is today. Um, and, and we make all the product there. And do you share that kitchen with other vendors? We do. Are yeah. there any that you think are great? Uh, totally. Isidore Nuts, great company. She really is. Yeah, they're an inclusive employer, as are we. Um, and there's some others. I don't know how much I can say on that, but there are more vendors coming into that space. What does an inclusive vendor mean? Yeah, so that means that we employ adults of all abilities. I don't know if you've seen our Instagram page. Mm-mm. I do this thing called Thursdays with Tim, which you should check out. Um, So everything is made by hand. And uh, there's a company called Inclusive Networking Mm -hmm. that handles customized employment. So they work with the companies themselves and the individuals that are looking for work. And um, when we realized that 80% of adults with disabilities are unemployed, we thought that that is something that is unacceptable. 
And when we were presented with this opportunity to work with Tim, uh, we said, absolutely, let's make it work. And so he's our production assistant. We also have a production manager who's been tremendous as well. So how did you meet Tim? Did he come and interview? Tim, yeah, he interviewed. He was introduced to us by uh, Nicole Rabinowitz from Inclusive Networking. And she got to know us and our processes and saw how everything was made and um, you know, evaluated Tim, not only his interest level and personality, but his skill set. And it was a fit. Um, and we've been with him for... I think it's about 10 months now. No, I love that story. Yeah. And it's um, something that I think a lot of people don't think about, but the labor pool has been so grim for lots of folks. Right. I like that we have the opportunity to look outside of some of the traditional spaces. Um, I've also talked to some other folks that have put programs together that are hiring individuals that have been formerly incarcerated, yeah. which also have a really hard time finding gainful employment after that incarceration ends. Um, so it's interesting that that has been a big part of your company. Um, you, how did you decide to go? So you are at the farmer's market and now you're expanding and you're moving in your commercial kitchen. Like, how did you get from farmer's market to grocery store? The demand kept building. So after the farmer's markets, we got into Lakewinds, all three Lakewinds locations. So Minnetonka, Richfield and Shanhassen. Uh, and then into the Linden Hills co-op. Uh, we're now at the Wedge as well. So did someone that was a customer go into Lake Winds and say, hey, you really should get this nut butter? Or did they find you? You know, Beth Dooley actually approached us at the Linden Hills Farmer's Market in the summer and loved her product. We got a little bit of a chance to talk. And she said, hey, you should take this to Lake Winds. So we heeded her advice. And they were very receptive you know, they're very supportive of local products. And Beth Dooley is a local writer. She's also a farmer's market maven. She knows all the vendors. She works with a lot of their products. She does recipe development. She's just a fantastic human. And her books are, you know how, like I have my cookbook shelf and it's large, but small. So you, to stay on my shelf with multiple cookbooks, you got to be real good. Beth is right up there. Yeah, and she won a James Beard Award yes, for she did. writing Sous Chef. Mm -hmm. So that helped us. Um, you know, that was a real case. Yeah. Had you not thought about it before, or was it just like, ooh, this woman knows people and maybe this is where we should start? We definitely thought about it. You know, my background's in sales. So mm -hmm. from the beginning, I'm thinking, all right, how big can this become? You know, how do we scale this profitably and responsibly? Where should it go? you know, who are our customers, because it is, it's a differentiated product. Mm -hmm. So we knew all along that the co-ops would be a good fit. Um, and just, it, it was a matter of time until we had enough scale and, and support and inventory to actually take the product to the local co-ops. So you get to the co-ops and it's one thing to get your product on the shelf, but it doesn't sell itself, right? Was demoing a big part of getting the message out when you were at the co-op? For sure. Yeah, we demo often. I just demoed last night, actually, at the Linden Hills Co-op. And do you, to do demoing, like in a lot of other stores, they have slotting fees and you pay for your demos. Do the co-ops charge or how does that work? The co-ops here don't charge, which is another reason it's a great place to start. Um, we also get some help, you know, as we grow, I'll need to hire a field marketing team. Sure. Um, but you know, when it's me doing it, I'm typically there for two to three hours. The staff is supportive. You know, you have to schedule it in advance. Um, but no, there's no fees. 
Okay. So when you say you need to hire a field marketing team, that's because you can only sample so many people by yourself. Exactly. Is there a company locally that does that for smaller brands? I'm not sure. There's local individuals that do it and represent multiple brands. Um, I'm sure there are companies out there that have, you know, teams of people in the field. Yeah, because I feel like that's a good opportunity for someone. Because so many of these makers, you need to sample, right? And they just don't have the employees. They don't have the resources. They can't really do it themselves. So if you could share economies of scale by putting together a group of, you know, 12 demoers, let's say, and all work with local products. It seems like a good business idea for someone who's listening. Right. I could start like a million businesses a day (laughs) and I just can't. Should keep track of all these. I know I totally should. And I just give them away freely. So someone who's entrepreneurial out there, please do that. We're getting karma points for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. So you're now you've expanded. You're in other co-ops. You're moving your co-op profile up the ladder. Yeah. How do you said you're a salesperson? Tell me how you think that benefits you as a food maker. And what did you sell before? I've sold uh, technology. I've sold, um, you know, startup, you know, venture backed concepts, experiences, coffee. You know, I've worked for five companies across my 14 year career. Really? What yeah. coffee company did you work for? Intelligentsia Coffee. Okay. So in you've, Chicago. you've worked in a lot of idea sales too. Yeah. Something where, you know, you're creating a yeah, vision because like it was a brand thing. new startup. Like I was at Groupon in the early days in Chicago. Oh, okay. And, you know, that was so early. People didn't necessarily conceptualize what it was. So that means that, A, you need to build rapport with who you're selling to. You need to be a good communicator. You need to be able to build value and articulate how this could benefit the business. And, you know, with sales also, you have to have some resiliency and some persistence. And if you're going to do it well, you have to do it authentically and honestly, right? Because, you know, your reputation matters. Because you can also grow your business based on referrals and how well you take care of your clients. Um, And then also, you know, from a business perspective, I'm just thinking about, all right, how do we grow this? And, you know, what does that pipeline look like? You know, we're not just going to be sold at the local co-ops. So you need to have a variety of sales channels that you sell through. And we are omni-channel. So we sell on Amazon. We sell on our website, of course. Um, there's a marketplace called the bubble based in New York. It's a healthy online marketplace where we sell our products. Um, there's other folks that we're talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a concept called pop-up grocer, which, um, it's a traveling pop-up grocery concept. Cool. They, yeah, it's great. They feature 150 brands for a month and then it goes away and they move to a new location. They're currently in LA right now. Uh, so we sell our stuff. There. Is it brand new? Yeah, relatively new. I mean, like less than a year. They've only done this. I think this is their third time. The first two were in New York. This one's in LA. And they, how long do they keep the pop-up grocery going? Just for like 30 days. Cool. And then they moved to the new location. Yeah. And that so seems like fun. it'd be perfect for our farmer's markets here. Yeah. Yeah. I think conceptually it's, it's about how do we find unique, innovative products that you don't find at the typical grocery shelf. Uh, so that's been great for, for marketing. Um, and then we're also at Honey and Rye. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just delivered our first order of Honey and Rye this morning, actually. And then we're also on the brunch menu at Handsome Hog. Oh, okay. 
with yeah. Justin Sutherland. Sure. Which, what do they use? Which products? Uh, they've got the spiced maple pecan and the sun-red basil cashew on their brunch menu. It's a Texas toast option. Oh, nice. But Justin, if you're listening, we got more ideas for you, man. Let's talk. <laughs> I think he does listen, actually. He might, yeah. Yeah, I think he does. As busy as he is. Yeah, because, you know, he's got a lot of time in airplanes and driving around. That's true. So do you still produce in your own, you produce in your own kitchen. At what point do you feel like, are you getting to where a co-packer is going to be something you have to look at? Could you? Are you going to grow out, outgrow your space? Yeah. You know, we've doubled our production recently at our commercial kitchen, and I think we'll double it again within the next three months. And is that literally you and Tim? And Alex, our production manager. And just making, and sometimes Jess probably. Yeah. Right. If she can get away. Yep. Um, So, you know, one of the more critical decisions we'll make in the business is deciding if we should outsource production to a co-packer or self-manufacture. I just did a podcast and it just launched yesterday. Years will launch in a couple more weeks. I usually am a couple weeks ahead, but you should listen to Molly Clark's story on taking stock foods about what it was like to go from making in her own kitchen to moving into a um, co-packer. Yeah. It's fascinating. I bet. It's a huge decision. Yeah, it right? is. There's challenges, of course. There's benefits, of course. Um, so we're, we're thinking about that, though, for sure. So with your sales background, do you like cold call grocery department managers and say, hi, I'm... I've got this nut butter and it's savory <laughs> and how about I bring it in and give you some samples? How do you like yeah. actually get on their shelves? You know, it's kind of a, a multifaceted approach, email, phone call, show up. And you know, you can't rely on any one of those strategies. You have to be able to try all three and you also have to be honest with yourself about if it's a fit or not. Yeah. Can I, I'm going to ask you two weird questions. One is like, how do you logistically keep track of all that? Because as a good salesperson, you need like a tracking system Yeah. and many people will make a cold call once, but they won't make the cold call seventh time. And that's right. where you're going to actually make the sale. Right. So do you have like a spreadsheet? Do you use a program? Yeah. An Excel spreadsheet. You know, we use a lot of Google docs, um, Google slides, Excel spreadsheets, you know, anything within the G suite we're typically using to keep track of, okay. of outreach and so you vendors. will make a tick. If you've called, you'll make a tick. If you've emailed, you'll make a tick. If you've left a message. Yeah. Cause nobody calls you back anymore. Do they? No. And most people don't <laughs> check their voice. No, either, I right? know. Even like, I mean, I'm working on a couple projects with people that we are in business together on a project and they do not listen to my voicemails. So right. I have to then send an email and say, I left you a voicemail with this information. It's like, come on, people. I know. You know, but there's also social media. So you know, you can LinkedIn message. You can direct message on Instagram. You know, we've done all those things. It's so stressful for me just as a business person. So, you know, I have a website. I have an email. I have Instagram. I have LinkedIn. I have Messenger. I have all of these ways that you can get in contact with me and I can't remember where you got that initial contact. So I will be checking like Twitter messages. I'll be checking Facebook messenger. Ooh, is it an Instagram? Oh, was it direct message on, is it a text? Like, honestly, I feel like I spend half my day trying to figure out who reached out to me and where the initial source was so I can get back to them. It's exhausting. It is exhausting and nobody needs to feel sorry for me. But <laughs> I mean, all of us, that's how it is nowadays, right? Right. Yeah, it's a lot to manage. Uh, so I think you need to be smart about the tools you use as well. 
Um, and then if you're seeking out business, then, you know, you need to be mindful of the follow-up. So I'll set calendar reminders so I know that I should follow up about a week later, right? Yeah. You don't want to hound somebody and, and follow up like the next day. Right. Give them time because they're also getting inundated by all these other brands that want to be on the shelves. Yep. And when you go into the store, like let's just say you – and I, I'm assuming you can't just walk into a Cub Foods, can you? You know – my mindset is you can walk in anywhere. You know, don't be a jerk about it. Be nice, be polite, but you can also be confident. Uh, so, yeah, I, I walk into stores all the time if, if I know that they're a fit for our product. And you have that defined by your target market, what you think the lifestyle profile is of the person. Who is your target market? So our target market is someone who's health conscious, uh, someone who pays attention to what they consume, who's looking beyond just the label, but they might want to research a little bit more about the brand themselves and who's behind it, who's making it, where is it coming from? Um, we have a lot of customers that are vegan or vegetarian that are looking for a satiating food, something that's nutritious, but also tasty, of course, and it's got an adequate amount of healthy fats and protein. Like that's the beauty of nut butter, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we've got, you know, a lot of flavor in each one of these jars, it's a, it's a culinary product. So there's a lot that you can do with our stuff. It's pretty mm -hmm. versatile. I feel like I just want to mix it up with some coconut milk or some sesame noodles. <laughs> you, yeah, you could do both. Yeah. I've got some other ideas for you too. Yeah, it sounds just delicious. Oh, and I suppose smoothies. People put peanut butter in smoothies, right? I would do the pecan in the smoothies. I wouldn't suggest the other two more savory flavors in a smoothie, but the spicy maple pecan in a smoothie for sure. Okay. Um, all right. So you, now you've got your tracking, you're calling your people, you're going into the stores that you feel like are a good fit from a lifestyle perspective. Can we talk about social media and do you do it yourself? I do it myself today. Yeah. And what does that mean specifically? Like, do you do photo shoots? Do you feature recipes? Like what is your strategy? How often do you post? We post about twice a week. We try to do a story almost daily. Uh, we've been experimenting more with Instagram TV, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, was a How suggestion. are you feeling about it? You know, that's a great question. Um, we're authentic and, you know, we want to do things that, you know, are realistic to our lifestyle, which is, which is quite busy, especially with two young kids. So with Instagram TV, not every post needs to be beautiful and perfectly dialed, right? Um, but we've also partnered with local photographers that are awesome. So we've got, you know, legitimate, you know, high quality images that we'll use. Um, as I mentioned, Beth Dooley created some recipes. So, you know, a nice shot of a prepared food with our nut butter or even the video of it. Mm -hmm. um, like we made a video of our truffle herb walnut drizzled over grilled asparagus. Yum. Which got a lot of feedback on. Um, We're coming up on asparagus season too. Exactly. So you definitely have to try that. Yeah. And then, you know, the Thursdays with Tim segment that I've been doing every Thursday, uh, I get a lot of comments on that because yep. we just riff, yep. you know, like we don't have a set agenda. We talk about anything from pop culture to sports to what his role is with Humble. So, you know, our approach is we want it to be authentic, of course. We want it to be varying. We're not just going to you know, show you pictures of our jars constantly. I was going to ask you about that. So do you have a formula for that? Like every fifth post can be a jar, but the other four need to be lifestyle? You know, not yet. We're not that scientific with it yet. At some point we will be. Uh, we just, you know, keep an eye on our feed. Most of our time is spent on uh, Instagram. Yep. And then we also do, you know, Facebook 
and I do something on Twitter and I do some things on, on LinkedIn as well if it's more, you know, specific to the business. Yep. Do you um, like set aside an hour a day, an hour a week? How much time do you give to social media, do you think? It's about an hour a week. And as we grow, we'll need to do more of that. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably need to have that managed by somebody that's got a background in social media. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because in the beginning, I think people were like, oh, social media, like it's free. Like we have all these free tools and we can get seen and it's great. And it is, but also for small businesses, it's nonstop. Right. It is something that is happening all the time, every day. The algorithms are changing. And I don't think you necessarily like there's great social media people and great strategists, but sometimes you just need someone that's consistent, going to post for you and respond for you. And the strategy, you can have like pay someone to do a yearly session with you and you've got your strategy down and now you just have to execute. Social media isn't free necessarily if you're going to do it well and you're going to make those connections. But it's funny because like I've really worked hard to get over 10,000 people because then I could produce links. Right. I never really linked to anything. Now that I can, I'm like, well, I suppose I should link to that, but I don't. You know, it's funny. Right. And stories are so much more prevalent. I feel like if I do a post, X amount of people see it. But if I do a story, like I get so much more engagement on the stories. Do you feel like that too? I do. Uh, friends of ours uh, run a creative agency in town called Fresh Coast Collective. And they advised me that there's no such thing as a bad story. Yeah. So I, I think, think that's you know exactly that, right. Right. And, you know, it expires in 24 hours, even if it does suck. So That's ahead. right. And some people spend, uh, I, I call it the, they general mills it. And I love general mills. Sure. And a million people that are food makers sure. have worked there or start companies there and it's experience you can't get anywhere else. But sometimes that general mills like philosophy of perfect and fully executed and fully strategery isn't going to work for someone in an authentic space. And if you're like I were, if you work with someone and your pictures are too perfect and everything looks so staged, that's not really Instagram friendly anymore. Right. Right. No, I, I think that um, you know consumers can see through some of that. Everybody says they want to be authentic, but we can typically spot if somebody's being disingenuous. And you can be authentic because you are a family business. Like, there's nothing right. more authentic than that. And if you guys are listening out there and you have family businesses and you're feeling like you know you need to get a bunch of agency folks together to create some, you know, once you have your brand and you know what your brand is, it's yours. People want to see you. They want to know about your life. They want to know about what it's like to go to a farmer's market in the morning and how much stuff you have to schlep. Right. You know, that's also one thing that we struggle with though, because we don't want to make it all about us, you know, Jess and I, the product has to stand, you know, on its own. And so that's what we really spent all this time nailing, you know, almost a year on the recipes. And um, so, you know, once we felt confident with that, that's when the brand comes in and the storytelling and you and have how you a, differentiate yourself. Yeah. And you have an interesting perspective in that, you know, savory nut butters are not what everybody's doing. Right. So in some ways, you're the missionary, too. You're doing the missionary work of educating, letting people know how to use them, in what way you would use them breaking down the barriers that people might have when they see like, Ooh, sun-dried basil, cashew. I don't know. Right. Truffle is a little harder for me. Truffle is like such a thing. Uh-huh. You either love it or you don't. Well, I would love to hear your feedback on Please. this because it's pretty balanced. Okay. I, I don't think that you'll find it overpowering. Okay, good. And I'm going to try it and I'm going to yeah. be honest with you because 
I just can't stand when somebody puts a plate of like truffle French fries in front of me. Yeah. And all I can smell is that fake truffle smell. Right. And I'm just like, oh, but I've been in France during truffle season and that experience of totally different. It's it's just beyond. It's it's just more of a new mommy savory type of sensation. I think you'll experience deep umami in the truffle or walnut, but I would love to hear your feedback. Yeah, I'll definitely. But I, I see that a lot because I've probably sampled a product to thousands of people by now, uh, and so if they've got caution and they don't want to, they don't want to try a specific flavor. I'll say, listen, I'll just give you a little bit. Let me know what you think. Um, and generally, people don't have any adverse reactions. It's certainly different, but people are also looking for less sweet foods out there yes. and less sugar. So when they get the chance to try our product, it's generally a really good experience for them. Some companies are weary to sample because they're like, and I'll use a farmer's market example, like, oh, well, people just come and they just want free food. Like, I'm just not here to give people free food. Sure. What would you say to those people that don't want to sample someone with a chip with their product on it because it's free food? I'd ask them, you know, why are they in the business in the first place? Thank you. You know, give people a deal. This is marketing. This is advertising. It's mm-hmm. the most effective, direct, one-on-one conversation you can get. You're at the market to get more people to try your product. And if that means you're going to pair it with something and you have to spend a few extra dollars to do so, it's worth it. And I'm sure nut butter is not cheap. It's not cheap. You know, like, you know, our prices are, it's a premium product because yep. the quality is premium. I mean, those are the highest quality ingredients that we can find. But it's also in line with other premium nut butters out there. People know that nuts aren't cheap. And it's not cheap for you to sample tons of people. It's not, but we chalk it up to marketing and advertising. And you should. And I think someone told me once that there's a line item in your tax return that right. you can write off what is, amounts to the amount that you sample. Sure. And in every profit and loss statement, you know, there's, a, there's that column for marketing and advertising. Yeah. So people should think about actual samples and produced product as a marketing and advertising expense if they are sampling. You should, especially if your product's good. You mm-hmm. want more people to try it. Yep. I, I just always, as a market manager, because I manage Stone Arch Festival Market and right. also Art and Bayfront Park in Duluth, and I get just, I get, I get real clear with people. <laughs> Some would say direct. Sure. I'm like, why aren't you sampling? Well, because, you know, it's just a looky-loose. I'm like, well, you're not going to have good sales at this market if you don't sample. So that's next year when you call me, and say, well, we didn't sell anything. I'm going to say it's because you didn't sample. Yeah, and also think about the perspective of the farmer's market goer or the shopper, right? Like they're there to explore and discover. So give them a good experience. It's likely going to benefit you in the end anyway. And thinking about like we're in Minnesota. People walk by a booth. They look, they look, they look. They don't want to look you in the eye, but they look at the table and they're trying to assess like, is this something I'm interested in? If you just stand there and say nothing, or worse yet, you're sitting behind your booth on your phone, that's not an engaged conversation with that customer. Farmer's market work or working in a grocery store demo table is hard work. You have to engage every single person you can. You have to look friendly, fun, inviting. Another thing that drives me crazy is to get the sample, I have to reach across the table in front of your watching eyes. (laughs) Like, make it easy for me. If I walk by and I grab three, like, okay. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd also say put your ego to the side, right? It's not, not everyone is going to love your product and that's okay. That's part of it. 
you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And I think that's where general business growth comes from. Put yourself out there, have a little courage. It's okay if not everybody loves it, you know, um, but with that comes potential for connection with the customers and then more people talk about your product. Is there something you think you're not good at? Uh, I'm not a finance guy. Okay. So have you learned how to read a PNL? Is that something? Yeah. Cause it's funny, you know, if it costs you $12 to make a product and you sell it for 1099, you're yeah. not really making a whole lot of money. Right. I mean, our, our margins are respectable and, and, you know, we have a line of sight to profitability, Yep. but I know I'm not a finance guy. Right? So did you, because you don't know that, how did you lean into that? Did you hire someone to help you? Did you take yeah. a class? So we've got an accountant, uh, we use QuickBooks online, so I still balance the books. So I know every expense that's coming and going and, you know, that just becomes repetitive. Do you right? schedule that into your week? I do every Monday. So you have like set time. You don't just get to it when you get to it. Right. And so the more you do it, the better you get at it and the less time it takes. But as we grow and scale our business, like that's one thing that we'll hire for mm -hmm. is, is a CFO of sorts. Someone that handles both finance and ops. I know enough to be dangerous, but I also know it's not my strength. Yep. And that's not what our company needs me doing. Which is a really interesting thought to have and to get to. Because yeah. at the beginning, you do everything. You do. But it, you know what your next steps are that when you get there, you'll hire for. Yeah. So would you, you can't say, do it all yourself. Yeah. And would you say that you'll hire that type of person before you'd hire a social media person? That's a good question. I think we'll know when we get there. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's partnerships within social media that you can do even on a contract basis. Uh -huh. doesn't have to be full time right out of the gate. Yep. You can outsource it even on a monthly basis. Um, you can do the same thing with finance, but finance is so integral to your to, business, to the, yeah. yeah, to the health of the business, right? Uh, when you think about inventory management and, you know, all the vendors that you're, you're working with and the rates that fluctuate, and then you think about supply chain and different grocers have a different margin structure. And then online, you know, because we're, we're omni-channel, our three different sales channels have different margin structures within them. So in the more accounts that you get, it's just, there's more that you'll need to manage. Yeah. So that to me, I think is more full-time and long-term strategic. Um, social media is also very vital for the growth and the awareness, uh, but something that you can do on a more of a light touch, if you mm -hmm. will. Yeah. And get by till, yeah. till you have enough revenue to support that. Right. But I would suggest like professionalizing your social media. What do you mean by that? Finding somebody that does it for a living or really has a good feed that you like that um, not only has a lot of followers, but has like captivating content. Who would you say has captivating content that you admire? Um, on a local level or national level? Either. Maybe one of each. You know, you've had Coconut Whisk on here. I think they do a good job. They do do sure, a good job. With marketing mm -hmm. and, and Instagram. And um, they, they just have a lot of followers. They have their own approach to it. And they do their vegan um, mixes, uh -huh. baking mixes. And so they do product reviews about vegan products. And they've really leaned into that vegan lifestyle. Right. Uh, on a national level, there's a, a canned beverage company called Liquid Death, which is hilarious. Like, okay. You should follow them. I will. Or at least check them out. Yeah. I think they do a great job. They just keep it interesting and kind of irreverent. And keeping cutting through the clutter. Totally. And then, you know, people like Gary Vee, of course, who's got amazing content. Gary, is it Valnichuk? What's his? Vayner, Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk. Yeah. He's a social marketing 
marketing guru, sales guy, guru, just yeah. really interesting content for creatives and, and creators. Ton, tons of content on all channels, but he's got a team, of course, behind him, and that, that's his thing. He didn't when he started. Right. Yeah. He, right. You just know, using he's his grown phone. and grown and grown. Yeah. All right. So some good suggestions. Congratulations. It's Thank you. Humble Nut Butter. Where are you going to be this summer? Uh, this summer, you'll find us, hopefully, I can't announce it now. Okay. But, uh, you know, Somewhere two good. different grocery stores <laughs> that you've definitely heard of. Okay. Uh, we'll be doing more on our website. And then every now and then we'll do more pop-up markets here and there. We've, we've, we've devoted most of our business now to fulfilling online and our grocery orders. Sure. But we're still doing some pop-up events here. Yeah, strategic sampling opportunities. For sure. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Make sure you tell Jessica I said hi. I will. And thank her for working her day job so that you guys can build the dream. It's a lot of companies do that. One person does this. The other person kind of has the steady Eddie, but it's no less work. Um, right. As a family business, you know, it's risky. It is, but we're having fun with it. And, you know, every day is an adventure. Yes, it is. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me.